When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, it's Lance, your host of yesterday's concert. Before we get this episode started, I want to take 25 seconds to tell you about my other show, Jam Journals. Jam Journals is a podcast that takes you on a journey through music history, featuring live performances from some of the most iconic concerts of all time. Each episode recounts a different concert experience through a dramatic narrative that brings the memories to life with vivid detail and emotion. Join us as we take a trip down memory lane of some of the most unforgettable concerts in recent history. Jam Journals is available everywhere you get podcasts. Yesterday's concert is a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast Network. After, after that tour, I was in a pretty big low, and that's how we ended up meeting. Was, was in one of those kind of, I was in one of those musical valleys. And this is, again, a testament, I think, to, to Jerry and, and, and our friendship and, and how we've structured this band. For me, the lows don't feel as low because we've set things up and communicate, I think, in a more realistic way. It's, it's probably because we're a little bit older and we've been through the industry a few times. But one of the first things we talked about, one of the big things that we want, we've always wanted to maintain was, was being sustainable in the in this project making sure that everything we do is sustainable that you know we can't be working 100 hour weeks or 120 hour weeks till four five six in the morning trying to get things done you know the, the work will get done when it gets done the successes will happen when they happen and knowing having failed before having gone through those lows i think equips you and steals you so that when they happen you don't feel they don't hurt as bad you don't hit as low of a low anymore because you've already gone through those experiences before and and Grab your earplugs for another episode of Yesterday's Concert, a podcast that celebrates live music. My name is Lance Ingram, and in this episode we talk to Jerry Hirschfeld and Chris Saganeus of Wax Owls. We chat about the band's debut EP, Pursuing Your Passions, and why they'll never go back to being lawyers. Plus, they share why they'll never defend Britney Spears again either. So I'm here with Jerry and Chris of Wax Owls, incredible new band that I've just discovered and fallen in love with. Guys, how y'all doing today? You doing all right? Doing good. Yeah, doing well. Just, Thank you. I was just talking about the exorbitant amount of coffee that I've that I've consumed, but I'm doing I'm doing good. <laughs> yeah, this, Jerry was telling us about drinking four cups of coffee this morning. Whereas if I had four cups of coffee, this podcast would not be happening today, or it would be really really fast. It, it might be that option as well. So, but we'll see. So anyway, as well, first off, I want to know how was Peach Fest? You guys just played. Oh man, it was so much fun. So we had we had 
I guess, played Peach Fest last year. But when I say played, I mean, we like sound checked, did our intro, and then a giant storm rolled through. And the sound guy, the sound guy comes up to me like after, I think it was the second song, maybe third song. And he goes, you got to get off stage right now. And I thought he was messing with me because like he and I were kind of like just joking around before the show. Yeah. And I, so I kind of laughed. He's like, no, I'm not kidding. And I was like, oh, did I say something? And he was like, no, there's a massive storm and everyone needs to take shelter right now. And I was like, oh. And so <laughs> I like went on the mic and did a PSA. Anyway, so, so we had to come back. And so we came back and it was a blast for a lot of reasons. You know, we had, we had more people out there just to see us than the prior year, which it's always a good sign. People singing <laughs> along to the songs, which is also always a good sign. But we had some people who were like, I made it a point of coming back to Peach to see the rest of your set. So we're like, oh, yeah, we're sick. picking up where we left off. So that was cool. My morning jacket played, which is like one of my all-time favorite bands. So it was cool to see. But the, the biggest victory, they had water slides at this festival. Oh. And there's no lines at, at a festival water slide. For, I don't know why. I mean, if I, was, if I was doing festival psychedelics, I think that would be an excellent choice. <laughs> but uh, yeah, after we played, you know, it's, it's hot and humid in Scranton, Pennsylvania. And so we were like, all right, let's, let's go in the lazy river. Let's go down these water slides. It's a blast. That's fantastic. Chris, how was your experience? Yeah. I mean, it was great. My, my favorite sort of little point that happened was Jerry was talking about the story about what happened. And then halfway through, he realized he's like, people who are walking by might think I'm talking about a storm that's going to be happening now. So how do I like keep prefacing? So everybody knows this is what happened last year. Please do not take shelter now. Because there were That's a couple funny. of people that definitely looked like they were concerned, like uh, looking up, like, oh, is it going <laughs> to come down right now? So, but no, it was a blast. It was a blast to kind of, it, it, it was, it felt like unfinished business until we, until we actually finished the set. There was, I think, I don't know about Jerry, but in the back of my mind, there was always this little thing like, all right, when's this going to happen again? Is it, are we going to get through six songs today? Are we going to get through three? Like when, when are we going to get pulled off stage? Because we were checking the weather leading up to it and, and it was forecasting rain up until the day of the show. And even during the day of the show, it was like, oh, 50% chance of rain. So we we're like, oh, this is, it's going to be part two. We're going to get rained out again. So getting through the set was, was already a victory enough for us. Man, that's killer. I love it. Well, so that's awesome. I'm happy you guys got to finish your set. So as is traditional on the show, we like to start with some icebreakers. So we'll just kind of segue into that a uh, little bumpy segue, kind of like some rained out storm set, but we'll, we'll make it there. So my first question for you guys. You guys started as lawyers, like we were kind of talking about before. What rock star do you think would make a great lawyer? Well, I, so I think this is maybe a little bit of a cop out because we have some like evidence for it, but D Snyder, I don't know if, I don't know if you ever saw the video when he yeah. was like testifying about censorship before Congress, but man, was that good? Like, like yeah. uh, on top of him having all the attitude that you ought to have to be like a cool guy in court, which is an underappreciated component actually in court but like he was he was the unassuming nature of like oh that guy probably does a lot of drugs is an idiot i don't think that's true d if if you're listening but uh, he's actually a regular caller he might actually call yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Gonna... but but i think i think that the uh, other side kind of took his looks and underappreciated like the the validity and and logic that he was about to espouse so I, I think that would be a good one. My other answer, and this is just because like this guy will die on any hill, 
is Neil Young. Like mm-hmm. Neil Young, if 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 Neil Young you were your attorney, you're either like winning or or appealing all the way to the Supreme Court. Like <laughs> that's the kind of guy who will not quit. That's fantastic. Great answer. Chris, you got anybody? D Snyder is a sneaky good one. So I'm gonna give two for the same reasons that Jerry did. I think Dexter Holland from the offspring, just because I think he has like a PhD. So he's got the in- intellect to be a good lawyer for sure. And uh, I believe it's in something like biochemistry. So I, I just think he would make a really good lawyer. And then on the other side, I would probably <laughs> to, to the Neil Young answer would be probably Morrissey for the same reason. I think he would die on any hill that he gets That's in front of. a good answer. Mm-hmm. So more, so talking about Morrissey, I'll edit this out. This is just off, but like Morrissey's coming to Memphis. And I've never like I've never given Morrissey the time of day just because he's Morrissey, but he's coming to Memphis, and I was like, maybe I should go see him and see what this is about. And now I'm like hella hyped to go see Morrissey, and I haven't even <laughs> listened to like the first like Morrissey album. I'm just like I don't care. Like it's just I'm so hyped to go see him, and I have no idea why, just because he's coming to town. It's fantastic. It's it, and and expect him to be kind of an ass, and it's like like get on that train. Like I, I I saw him in Chicago. He played a festival in Chicago when I was living there called riot fest and you know he's like very outspoken vegan and all that obviously meet his murder is one of his yeah. records he refused to take stage until literally every food vendor that served meat closed for the night like he wouldn't go on stage and on the one hand i was like kind of pissed because i wanted to go home i like i wanted to see him play and then get a good night's sleep but on the other hand i was like Nah, like his thing is like, I'm an asshole. And I was like, do it, man. Be, be that guy. <laughs> well, it's funny. Like you say that too, because I, I saw Jason Isbell in town. And you know, like Memphis is barbecue. Like that's what we're known for. One of the things we're known for that in crime. And Jason Isbell was performing and he was talking about how like the air just smelled like barbecue. And he's just like, it's somewhere Morrissey's getting pissed off at this city right now just because it exists. <laughs> And that's what, like one of my treasured like moments of concert history was that moment. But yeah, so Morrissey, that's interesting. I love it. So moving on to the second question. Oh, actually, no, I have a second part to that question. Which legendary rock star would you not want to represent? Wait, that I don't want to represent? Like, I don't want to be there. As a client. Yes. Can I give one that I actually did represent? Hell yeah. Britney Spears. Whoa. Can you tell the story? A little bit of that story? I can only tell so much. And 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 truth is, like, so this was related to that conservatorship that all the all the the got all the coverage. When I was involved, it was before it was between Brittany and her father. It was like the conservatorship against an alleged former manager. And then after that, it kind of spun into between Brittany and her father. So I was not there for like that without any attorney client client privilege violations was my least favorite case I ever worked on. And it's not close. Wow. That's insane. What what was what without going into specifics, what was so difficult about it that made you dislike it? Well, one one the, the press component was just kind of stressful. Like like the, the courtroom and and more importantly, like right outside of the courthouse was just packed with people taking photos and stuff and asking for interviews. But the other thing was like, because they have been such a successful enterprise for, you know, I don't know when Brittany broke out, mid-90s, 
there's not a lot of reality left uh, in it. And, and so getting things done without having like blow ups was nearly impossible. And so everything was urgent. And regardless of the outcome, everyone was always pissed no matter what. And so it was just like that. And I, I guess I can say this one part. I had to do a declaration of somebody like it was one in the morning that I had to type this up. And I mistyped their name. And but I mistyped their name into words that are real words. I, 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 I so the word document didn't give me the red squiggly line. So mm. somewhere in the publicly available files of the Britney Spears case, there exists a declaration of chat Hummer, like chat, <laughs> like conversation Hummer, like the vehicle, because I was so underslept. That's awesome. That's incredible. That's so fantastic. <laughs> Chris, how are you going to top that dude? Morrissey. That's the answer. <laughs> That's perfect, dude. I can't bring it full circle. I love it, dude. All right. So can't even, we're just going to move on, man. Fantastic. All right. So you guys recently covered Rescued by the Foo Fighters on your Instagram. I saw, I've always kind of thought of them as a singles band, but they do make some great albums. What do you think is their best album? Color and Shape for me. Oof. Going classic. Yeah. Jerry. I don't really listen to the Poop Fighters that much. <laughs> Why'd you cover the song, man? <laughs> I know, I know. It was Chris's idea. And I was like, oh, it's a good idea. And then we did it. Color and Shape, what's on that one? What are the singles on that one? Like everything? Uh, that's Hero, Monkey Wrench. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Then I'll, I'll go with that. It has yeah. Everlong on it. It's I think that's the right choice. The, yeah. the one after that had a lot, a lot that I liked. Yeah, that had learned to like all my life. I've been searching for something, something, da da da. Is that the one after all my that? Life. No, yeah. I think I think that's actually the one after that one. I think the one yeah. immediately after Color and Shape had Learn to Fly. I think that was the big single off the the next record. That's uh, the one where he's got the it's the back of his neck and it's got the Foo Fighters tattoo. I think yeah, that's the, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think the one with with All My Life is the light bulb cover. I think yes, I think you're um, right too. I also okay, have a that, that I, one. I got pretty into. I just was blanking on the name of it, but that. I mean that da 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 like that like you hit the spot too with where I was as a guitarist at that point. Like it was like a simple riff that I could I could play, but it had like this cool vibe to it. So that's gonna be my pick, if not color and shape. I also have a soft spot for their very first record that I think is completely underappreciated because it's kind of like it's kind of like Nirvana adjacent. It's like pop Nirvana. See poppy Nirvana. I like Chris Moore right now because he's Jerry, you, you let me down, man. Let I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> I wanted to good. give an honest answer, though. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Chris, you got a couple of bonus points with me, though. So there we go. All right. So last question, and then we'll jump into the conversation. So you guys have really great harmonies. What band do you think did harmonies best? Of all time? Sure. Or even last year it could, or this week. I don't know. Just whoever yeah, you want to so I Well, as of late, I think it's Boy Genius. I, I think their harmonies are just mm -hmm. absolutely stunning. And I think that's a mixture of their like their choice in terms of harmonies, but also just like the blend that the three of their voices have. Like Phoebe's got that kind of like wispy one. Lucy has, in my opinion, like the fullest. And then, oh gosh, I'm Julian, Julian. has that like. 
when she kind of pushes it into that upper mid, it has that like little overtone gain kind of like almost saturated sound. I think it, but all time, it's hard not to, for me just to go to the Beatles. Like when I think because the world is round, like it's hard to not pick that or like queen. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go with one of those for like all times. For more recent, I really like the highway women. I like what they did. Uh, yeah. and kind of like boy genius super group. So you've got, you know, some of the best female singers in the world blending their voices together. I think that's, I, I think everything I, I listened to off that record was beautiful all time. It's hard to go between Beatles and queen. Maybe if I were to thir throw a third option, beach boys, just because the, the harmonies on pet sounds are so insane. Uh, th that's yeah. I, I don't really have one better than, than those. All right, so I don't normally do this, but can I give you all my answer? I yeah, was so, going to ask I was going to ask your opinion anyway, so I'm glad. Okay, cool. So I just interviewed the the journalist Mick Wall because he wrote a book about the Eagles, and so I did a huge deep dive on the Eagles. And if you can get Joe Walsh to harmonize with like everyone else and it still sound amazing, I've got to give it to you. Like they I mean even like Hotel California and all that stuff like he he sounds good. Like, how do you make Joe Walsh sound good? So, like, <laughs> to achieve that, I got to give it to the Eagles, man. Like, that's so killer. So, yeah, the Eagles is mine, even though they are what they are. But no, that 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 that's an excellent choice. I also I also like that there's brownie points for like the challenge. Like, <laughs> oh yeah, like, on top of it sounding good, you overcame the hurdle that is Joe Walsh's voice. <laughs> well, that's, I mean, even in the, I don't know if you've seen the Eagles documentary, that two-parter, and they say something about, like, when they bring Joe Walsh in the band, they're like, yeah, our guitar got better, but our harmonies got worse because of him. And so it's like, it was such a trade-off with bringing Joe into the band. But I mean, even like, I saw them in like 2009, they still sound fantastic. They still can rope him in and make him sing well. So, I mean, that's, they overcame a lot. Like, it's easy to go like Crosby, Stills, and Nash or something like that, but like, you got Joe Walsh in harmony. Kudos to you, man. Good job. Yeah, no, that that that's that's fair. And Crosby, Stills, and Nash is like great, but I think the best Crosby, Stills, and Nash is when Young was part of it. Mm -hmm. And then it's not really so much the harmonies as much as it is like Neil Young's like weird, you know, way of singing. Yeah, I agree. Well, so that icebreakers don't normally go this long, but this has been a lot of fun. So let's actually jump into the conversation and talk about you guys for a change. So I'm just going to go straight into it. The Appetite is one of the best songs I've heard in like years. I'm just going to say it. Like, I'm going to put that big of a stamp on it. I love that song. Fantastic song. Tell me the story about it. Tell me how it came to be. So I, unlike most songs where I have some sort of idea for the chorus, you know, you hear a lot of people talk about like, right, you got to have a chorus. I had that verse for a while. And that's not normally a place I, I typically start with songwriting. But I was like, no, I think this is a good verse. It just, it needs the right chorus. And, and I just, I couldn't find one. I couldn't find one that like really landed. And I ended up just being like, so, so Chris and I also play like as the sort of hired guns for this progressive metal band, mm -hmm. which is not like Wax Owls, obviously, but they do a lot of like time changes, tempo changes, you know sometimes key changes and all that with, within a song. And I, I kind of, after one of those rehearsals, I was just like, you know what? Let me just try a different chorus. Like, like, like something that wouldn't 
wouldn't be the natural flow that I would have expected from this verse. Because the chorus of that song, at least in part, is in 7-8. And it's I think it's something like eight beats per minute slower than the verse, which you typically don't slow down. You either keep the same tempo or, or if anything, you'd speed up in a chorus. But I just I couldn't find anything that felt right. And that like slow down and that 7-8 kind of groove that came with it just felt really cool. And so I was like, you know what? It feels natural, even if it's like not really doing the rules of what like maybe an indie folk song would do. And so I was like, let's just put it together. And that's kind of that's kind of how the song came to be from like a, a like a musical stance. And then writing wise, one of the impetus to like really finish that song was, you know, the band Jamestown Revival. I've heard of them. They like name only. They're, yeah, they're, they're, okay. they're pretty cool. Their, their manager happened to hit us up and was like, hey, I, I really like your sound. Like, you got anything new? And I was like, oh, that'd be so dope if he, like, you know, wants to put us on tour opening for Jamestown. I think that would be a good fit. Mark, if you're listening, think about <laughs> it. And I was like, all right, I got to get this song done. And I just kind of had that, like, mixture of, like, wanting to, like, jump into the next phase and, like, go kind of go for it fuck all kind of headspace and so that kind of influenced some of the lyrics that was that like made, made the rest of the song it's been a fun song and it's been challenging because live we play to a click so having to and, and i'm the only one that's on the click so having to make sure that when we're going from from the we're doing the tempo changes and, and working and staying together that's been probably one of the most challenging things for us to do live but it's also Honestly, kind of the mo when we get through that song, it's not so much a breath of relief, but more like a sense of accomplishment that we made that I maybe don't feel going through some of the other songs that feel more automatic at this point where we're like, we've done them so many times and they're comfortable and it's one tempo or one time signature. So getting getting through that one is definitely a lot more fun and, and a bigger sense of accomplishment. And, and it's probably, I don't want to speak for Jerry, but it's it's probably, if not my favorite, in my top two for songs that we have released. So it's it's nice to hear somebody else echoing that sen sentiment. Oh, it's fantastic. And that's, I, I wanna talk more about it, but there's one specific, so I'm, I'm not a lyrics guy. I talk about this on the show all the time. Like lyrics, to me, vocals are just like another instrument in the mix. I don't really necessarily pay, like I'm more about the, the melody than I am like the actual words coming out. But there was one line that just like jumped out and grabbed me. It was that maybe sometimes that's the bluff of recovery. Can you tell me kind of like what that like encompasses or like what it meant? Oh, so part of it was like kind of coming out of that transition of like, you know, being an attorney. I was I was very, very, very depressed when I was working as an attorney and and kind of trying to get better with with like depression it has these like pitfalls where or for me, I don't I don't want to speak for anyone else has these pitfalls where I'm like, I did it. <laughs> I'm not a depressed person anymore. And then, and then like, you know, give it a few days. Uh, yeah. It's back. And, and so this like, this like false sense of feeling that like things are completely past. It's more like living. I think, I think the more accurate is like that you live with this challenge and you address it on a regular basis. And uh, ideally you address it in a more, in an increasingly like informed and healthy way, but it doesn't go away. And, and, and the specific thing I had in mind with that, so I take, I take Prozac for, for my depression. And I was actually talking to Bobby about this the other day. Bobby played bass with us for a little while. And I was like, one of the things about 
good treatment is you start to feel like, like medication treatment, is you start to feel like you don't need it anymore mm-hmm. because it's doing what you want it to do. And so I went off Prozac, which I shouldn't have done. And it just kind of crashed for me. And it was that blood. I was like, oh, you know, maybe, maybe I am good. Maybe like the chemical balance, maybe my headspace, maybe my life choices allow me to like, you know, not have to take this daily medication. And that was a blow. It was like, no, no, you, 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 you have to account for this all the time. You always have to like be mindful that like lifestyle choices affect your well-being. Hmm. Well, let's, and I, Chris, I, I hope I don't exclude you with this next question, but no, no. One of the, one of the reviews I was reading about you guys in your, your music was that they said it was like an intimate musical hug that wraps you up and squeezes you, but not too tight to suffocate. And, I, and when I heard that, it kind of framed the way I heard your music, not just even the lyrics, but just the music itself. It's a very intimate style of music. Is that something that you're coming into writing and producing with that kind of mindset? Or is that just kind of how it flows out of you? I think, I think it's probably a, a little bit of both. Like there's definitely an intent to like make it, you know, feel lush and warm, but also at least I try whether or not this is achieved. I try to like, once I've written the song, which is usually either going to be like on an acoustic guitar or on the piano is like, you know, just kind of a performing thing. Thinking about like, what would be the coolest presentation of that when thinking about production, like appetite, I wanted it to have a production style that felt pretty organic. So like, I, I don't have any synths in, a, in that song going and then I left in takes that were like, they had, you know, I don't want to say mistakes, but like they weren't the most perfect, you know, performances because I thought it felt good and fit that song. But to compare it against the, the one we released right before that, which is Bring the Rain, like I had more of a lush kind of like picturesque instead of kind of flawed production in mind. So for that one, I did a lot more like the vocals. I did way more takes so I could really be like, oh, this is the right vocal take or like the the piano has a lot more like processing and plugins that I put on it. I don't know if that fully answers it, but it's like the goal is to have a song that presents the way I would like it to be presented. And so I try to adjust the production for that. I think what we try to do, and, and maybe this is what achieves that warmth or that that hugging feeling is to keep everything as organic as possible. Even Even a lot of the sounds that are not organic or they don't sound organic are actually like they're things that we made like there's Jerry which tune is it where we have the the trumpet case closing as a sound oh lie for me instead of instead of like a snare sound it's just the sound of the trumpet case shutting with you know some processing on it so even things like that and and I wonder and I you know I don't know if this is a a real thing or like a, a placebo type invented thing but I wonder if actually using organic sounds to create and alter them to make them almost sound inorganic contributes, still contributes to that feeling of a warmth to it. So I, I, that's kind of one of my favorite things when, when Jerry and I get into the recording process or the production process is trying to figure out how can we make, how can we do this ourselves? How can we do something organically with real instruments, whether it's tapping on the rim of a drum or, or, uh, I think we used a table or a chair, you know, with drumsticks and things like that to give these not real sounds, but actually have them come from a real place. And and I wonder if maybe that contributes to to what the what the author of that article was was writing about. In addition to, of course, to you know the lyrics and the and the vocal melodies and things like that. 
Well, I mean, when I hear like the the three songs that like come to mind, "The Appetite," "Bring the Rain," and "Time Goes By," like you, you guys are early in your career. You have like you started this project in what twenty twenty, like as far as like this. So I mean, when I hear the production value of these songs, I'm astounded because they they feel so full. It feels like a very like large production piece, but yet you guys are DIY and a lot of this stuff. Like, how are you doing, like making these big sounds like that? The, the luxury of multi-tracking, like we, we, we literally do all of the recording. I don't know if, you know, if people are watching or listening in the room I'm sitting in is literally where all of the songs are recorded. And, you know, so sometimes Chris will come over, we'll bring it like, I'll just be like, bring over a Tom. And he'll just bring over a big Tom and we'll hold up the mic and we'll like get it one way. And then we'll like, to make it even bigger, we'll be like, all right, now let's put a t-shirt over the Tom to make it sound more deadened and, and Chris will tune it differently. So it has maybe a lower or higher kind of resonance and we layer those together. But I think the luxury of recording at home is that, is that there's no time constraint. And so sometimes the recording process is sort of discovering and writing the parts while recording. And like, if we go down a rabbit hole that ultimately is like, ah, that was not the right one. It, you know, there's, there's no harm, no foul. So we can test things like more harmonies or like, what if we tried this ethereal guitar part or versus an acoustic guitar playing that, or, you know, Chris playing it on a Tom versus playing it on, you know, kick drum, you know, to give the, the Tom rings out longer. It might be cooler for the song, but that, that the luxury of DIY lets us experiment more and layer more. And so I think that's kind of how it gets that bigger sound sometimes yeah i mean uh we have a song that's not released yet that i think has gone through three or four different revisions because we've had that luxury of time and the luxury of trying out different choruses different vocal melodies different lyrics different productions it, it started out uh, uh at least when jerry presented to me it was just an acoustic guitar in his voice and i was like that's it we don't have to do anything and then he built out a built out a more produced version of it and we sat with it and we liked it we we demoed it we played it live a couple times and then we're like you know what it's still not where it needs to be so went back changed it again and i think where it sits now is almost kind of a happy medium between where it started the second version and and where it is now and then sorry i lost my train of thought <laughs> <laughs> you oh, should no, have four cups of coffee I should have. No, what I was going to say, sorry, I, I got it back. What I was going to say is full, full kudos to Jerry, because when we when we started the project and Jerry, you can correct me if I'm wrong. He had a very, very basic understanding of of GarageBand and Logic and, and to see the growth between then and now and the production and where we came from our very initial demos to to the songs that are released. I mean, full credit, full credit and kudos to him for putting in the work and, and the time to get better at it, get better at that as a craft. Cause songwriting of course is a craft, but production is production is a, is another craft all, all on its own. So I just want to give him, give him the spotlight and give him the attention for that. Cause it takes a, it takes a ton of work and, and it does not go unnoticed. Thank That's you, man. Actually, that was actually one of my, my questions. I mean, you, you had completely different careers prior to this. And I'm listening to these songs. I'm like, dude, this sounds like it's like mastered at, you know, some major studio or something. It seems like, I mean, the production value is insanely high. Like, I mean, how did you get that level of quality so quickly? You know what it probably is attributable to is when I worked as a lawyer, I really hated it. And, and so I would spend all of my time when I wasn't actually having to write briefs or go into court 
just watching like tutorials on how to use logic. Cause I, I, I didn't have logic when we, when we very first started. Uh, yeah, I could, I could do like some very, very rudimentary stuff on, on GarageBand, but I wanted to kind of learn it and I didn't like my job. So it motivated me more to just be like, all right, I got, I got an hour to kill. Like, let's, let's learn this like mixing trick or let's learn this like, I don't know, production trick. So I think it's actually largely attributable to that. And then just, and then just doing it a lot. Like I, 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 I write with and produce a number of other artists. And I think just because I'm doing it with some degree of regularity, I think it just helped me improve at it and, and get better at being like, this is the sound I'm imagining. Here's like the steps that probably will get me there. That's Chris. I don't want to exclude you again. So I'm going to ask you this. You, you were a lawyer prior as well, correct? Yes. Yeah, that's, what, that's what I thought. Did you hate your job too? Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, that's perfect. Great. This, oh, this, yeah. this question will go over well. Yeah. Okay, so you both hated your job. You hated what you did. Why did you go into it instead of like, did you think you were going to like it? Or was it just like the music was pulling you the longer you were in it? What was that like? What was that pull there? Chris, you want to take this one? Sure. So, you know, I've, I've been playing in bands since I was a kid, probably since I was 10 years old or so. And the, the short version of the backstory is my, my parents didn't go to college. So there was a big, you know, it was a big focus of like, you're the first one to go to college, all of that. And while I was in college, I truthfully didn't know what I wanted to do. And I had another cousin who, who was an attorney. And in my senior, I think it was my senior year of college, I interned at her law firm in the music department. And I was like, okay, I, I think like it seemed like a cool job at the time. And, and, you know, the way I kind of pictured it was I'm still pursuing music as, as what I want to do, but the education, the knowledge, the background, um, you know, you hear all those stories, especially of artists in the early days of rock and roll, the, the, between the fifties and sixties, uh, early British invasion of getting screwed over because they had bad management, they signed terrible contracts and, and, you know, you hear that that's that's a pretty common trope in, in music history. So I was like, well, on the one hand, I'll get this great education to protect myself. And then secondly, if my music career doesn't pan out, if it's not something I can make a career of, then that's what I could do. I was aspiring to be the, the music attorney that could help other artists not get screwed over. And the reality was when I graduated that, I mean, I graduated during the height of the 2008 recession. So Nobody was getting jobs. There was, you know, the, the law school debt was piling up and law school and Jerry, I think can, can echo the sentiment. Law school does not prepare you for what actual practice and the day-to-day -day of being an attorney is. It, it prepares you how to think like an attorney, how to do research and, and a lot of other things, but the actual day-to-day -day, living your life in six minute increments and billing and, and what, uh, what you do. I, I, for me, at least my law school experience, it did not prepare me for that. And, and once I got into practicing, it was such a, such a shift from what I thought it was going to be and what I had expected it to be that, that, I, that within, within a very short period of time, I was like, okay, what can I do to get out of this? <laughs> mm. I, I can echo that. I mean, I have two degrees, one in journalism and one in marketing and neither of them prepared me at all for like the realities of the job. Like, I mean, like I have, like I even doing like four years of journalism school, like I was not a journalist when I graduated. Like the only reason I could interview anyone is because I went out and did it on my own or like I had conversations at parties that like, that's where I learned how to interview people. 
like was talking to drunk frat guys who were hanging over a balcony and like <laughs> figuring out their life story and why they were doing that. But like, I mean, even the same with marketing. So like, I, it, it seems like Jerry, is that kind of like similar to your, like, is that kind of your story as well? Or I, actually, I think mine was a, like a, a lot less intentional than, than Chris's might've been. I was working as a musician when I graduated uh, undergrad and I felt like I needed some sort of stable income for when I wasn't on the road because I was touring pretty regularly. And my buddy was, this was like before like Uber was a real viable option. Otherwise, honest to God, I probably would have just been like, all right, I'll, I'll drive Uber. Um, my buddy was like, I think you can do well on the LSAT, which is, which is the law school entrance exam. And he said, if, if you do well enough, you can actually just get a job teaching that because you don't have to have a law degree to teach the entrance exam, the LSAT, and it might be a good part-time job. So I actually took the LSAT just so I could teach it when I wasn't on the road. And, and then after doing that for a few years, I kind of had this like, maybe it's time to grow up. Like, I, I don't really have any viable skills that like are employable. So I kind of went to law school just because I, I had the, the pieces to apply. And then I did it and I liked law school and then I didn't like the practice. Mm. Well, so I mean, that's like this, I guess this is kind of a two part question then. So like, what is success for wax owls? And then if success doesn't pan out for some reason, which I'm advocating that it does, what do you go back to being lawyers? Like, do you just try again? Like, I mean, it sounds miserable. It seems like this is where your heart is. This is where your passion is. Is that like, can you speak to that? I think that, I think something I've, I've at least made a conscious effort of avoiding since, uh, working as an attorney is, is, is having a, like a fixed amount of like, Oh, when, when this happens, then you have crossed the threshold from not success to success. Uh, and like when I left, I kind of resolved that. Like, I, I know this is maybe a little bit of a, like a hippy dippy kind of woo woo crystal answer, but if it's, if it's, if it's bringing in life experiences that I, I appreciate, which, which it is already, then I, I think that it, it's already a success. Don't get me wrong. I would love to be able to live very comfortably from the income of wax owls and not do anything else. But I didn't want to make that my marker at any point. And the reason for that is uh, the more I think about it that way, the more the times that I'm not there, I start feeling like, crap, I got to get there or I'm failing, which puts like, uh, in my opinion, an unsustainable approach. Like I end up being like, crap, I got to do this. I got to do this. And if it doesn't happen, then I fail. Then I got to, you know, then I give up. And, and kind of treating it more as like, there's, there's not a target as much as it is, is like, this is what I want to be doing. And so I'm going to do it. And so I'm, I'm, I'm doing it. So I'm happy. And so I, I guess that's a sidestep of an answer, but I, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure when something would constitute success, if not already having like, you know, we just talked about peach. That was a blast. We had like some cool sinks on shows that like, you know, that was sort of a dream that I got to like achieve. So I, I, I don't know. And, and as far as going back to being an attorney, I think I can answer that one definitively. No, uh, <laughs> <laughs> like if, if, if I'm not doing music in, in some sort of, you know, professional or semi-professional capacity, it's not going to be law. And I, I don't know what it would be, but like, I, I have a situation now where between music and, and actually teaching the LSAT, I'm, I'm able to sustain an income and I'm really happy with all the experiences. So I, I, I don't foresee it as like a, 
well, if I don't get to this like marker sometime in the next year or two years or whatever, then I'm going to have to go back to being a shell of myself. <laughs> Sorry, long-winded, Chris. I'll no, I love it. No, go for it. I love it. Yeah, I mean, not surprisingly, I think I think my answer falls along similar lines. I definitely like. There's, I'll, I'll answer it in in reverse. There's there's no way I'm going back to being uh, an attorney. That's that's absolutely not in the cards. It, it wasn't even in the cards or something I would think about had wax owls not even happened. I think I was on that path of of walking away from from law pretty much permanently um, before you know before the pandemic. As far as success, you know, I think it depends on your perspective, right? So, you know, if from an outsider's perspective, you know, getting signed to a major label is success or being able to sustain this from a, from a financial perspective is a success. But I, I don't know in a million years, I would have said, you know, we were going to play Bonnaroo or we were going to do Peach Fest or get, like, like Jerry said, get those sinks. So life experiences with good people is is you know these the the memories are gonna yes money is good it's nice to have a stable income and have a roof over your head and make sure you're not worried about where your you know your next meal is coming from but getting getting to have these life experiences with with the people that we care about is is what's what's most important to answer the the question from 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 that perspective yeah i think success would be when Jerry and I are only doing this full time and it's the only source of income and, 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 and we don't have to do anything else. Yeah. I think, I think that is a version of success, but it's not the only version of it. It's not the only one that I think is important to us. And it's not, it's not the, the marker that we're setting out in the distance to be like, okay, until we reach that, then we're not successful. I think we've already been successful in, in things that we've accomplished uh, to date. I really like both of your answers and like I consider this podcast and like an entrepreneurial thing. So and I'm kind of relating to you on that experience level. So one thing I think about with like what I do through this podcast is like the highs and lows are so much more extreme through this. Like the highs are incredible because I'm doing it on my own, whereas the lows really, really hurt. Can you speak to that about this project? For sure. <laughs> yeah, they're like, I mean, I, 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 I think probably same or similar thing is in the podcast world. Like when an opportunity comes, whether it happens or even just like the potential for an opportunity, you're, you're elated and you're, or I'm elated, you know? So we, we talked about, you know, when, when we found out we were going to get to play Bonner, which was like mm -hmm. the first major festival I ever went to was my freshman year of college, or I guess the summer after my freshman year of college. And I was like, oh my God, I get to play that festival. That was such like a formative life experience so excited some of the some of the sinks on bigger tv shows so excited but then there's like the lows where like after the festival and then you like try to get like a booking agent and they're like well how many tickets are you worth and you're like not that much and they're like ah, well then we're not interested or i honestly even even just this week and i don't know if it's going to happen or not but we had like a meeting with some guy who like runs a label kind of floated a potential record deal or like some version of a record deal our, our way. And I was so stoked, super high. Then I talked a little bit more and it was like, oh, this isn't going to happen. It's like it, like the, the pieces that need to be for this to happen, we're, we're not getting it. 
And then I was like so bummed for a day. And I was like, what do I even do? Like, I, I, I don't know the next step. And then I got a text from somebody that maybe it still is going to happen. And then I was happy again. And I was like, damn, my, my well-being is way <laughs> intertwined with like external things. And I, I, I don't even think that's healthy. I'm not, I'm not even trying to advocate that that's the right thing. But boy, like the highs are high and I get like very proud of myself. And the lows are low and I get very discouraged. <laughs> yeah, I, I think entrepreneur is, is the right word, like you said, with the podcast, you know, we're we're small business owners, you know, what, what, what all of us are doing, what you're doing, what we're doing is, is not much different than if we decided to open up a, a pastry shop, you know, we're, we're still putting in all of our time, all of our resources, all of our energy into a thing that we love about, a, a love and, and a thing that we care about. I, I don't think it's perceived that way by the public, but I, but to me, I think that's really what we're doing. We're, we're small business owners and we're entrepreneurs. So each little win is huge whether it's a small win you know or a big win and and each and each loss whether small or big you feel it it's magnified just because it's so tied to who we are as people you know i've been playing i like i said I, i've been playing in band since i was 10 but i've been playing the drum since i was two years old like mm. i've been doing this basically as long as i could walk jerry's been doing this basically as long as he can walk like this is as much a part of who we are as 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 breathing so everything and again much like the podcast and and, and even much like running a, a pastry shop your success is not entirely dependent on your skill it is dependent on how the public receives it if you make you can make the best croissants in the world but if the public doesn't enjoy them or they don't go to your shop or they don't know how to get there it doesn't matter it's all for not and, and you know it's the same thing same thing with what we're doing we could be we could be the 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 be we're not but we could be the beatles but if nobody hears it if nobody cares if it doesn't resonate then then you know we feel that way and, and we know it and we feel it internally but it's it can be it can be kind of a crushing crushing feeling when you don't get that that response I, this is a little hippy dippy but like where does the music carry you to the next moment i mean in those lows and in the th i mean i just think as a creative like to be able to pour myself like i watched bo burnham's inside when it came out and the whole time i was watching it i wasn't so well, it was impressive what he did but i was envious of the process to creating his what he was doing like that was the part of it that i was like i wish i had gone through a project like that because that looks like fun to create how much of it is it for you guys to have the music carry you between those lows and those highs. So in the lows, I'll start being like, all my songs are crap. Every song, every song is bad. And the only thing that's worse than the songs that we have released are the songs that I haven't yet released. And, <laughs> and, and so there, there, there's, I, I know this is a little different than, than, you know, kind of pouring yourself in. For me, it's a recharge. Like I, I, I would love to be like, oh, let me take all this like down feeling and like put it into working harder. I don't think that's true for how I operate, though. Actually, I think when it's like down feeling, for me, it's like, all right, well, let's watch some YouTube woodworking videos and stuff just to calm your brain. And then when I'm like feeling a little bit more equipped to address how I'm feeling, pull out the guitar, oh, turn on the I was gonna say pull out the piano, but it's you know it's it's an electronic <laughs> keyboard. Turn on the piano, and and 
you know, see if I land on something that goes, makes me go, oh, that was cool. And when that happens, it comes flooding back. Like, oh, I cannot wait to finish this song and, 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 and show Chris and be like, hey, what do you think of this? Where can we take this? Chris? Yeah, for, for, for me, it's twofold. One, and, and maybe this is the case for most people. I, I'm not going to say that this is unique, but, but it's always felt like in my lowest moments when I'm like, okay, this is it. I'm walking away from music. I'm done. I can't, I can't do it anymore. My, my, I'm emotionally spent, you know, and, and all of those things is when the next big thing happens is when that breakthrough happens, you know, the first time, again, this is, this is not wax owl stuff, but, but the first time it was like, okay, that's it. I'm, I'm, I'm 25 years old. I can't do this anymore. I have to grow up and get a real job and do it. Blah, 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 blah. Get signed to a major label. Then the next time after that, I was like, okay, I'm making no money. I'm in a new, it was after I moved to LA and, and I'm in a new city. I've got no friends and, and every band that I was auditioning for, I either wasn't getting the gig or they were like, quite frankly, they were bad. I end up getting on an audition for an artist who was signed to Atlantic records and doing a tour with him and playing some incredible venues. And then, you know, it, it's, it's that peak and valley thing where I get that low, then I get that high and then you get the low again. And after, after that tour, I was in a pretty big low and that was in, that's how we ended up meeting was, was in one of those kind of, I was in one of those musical valleys and, you know, we hit it off and I, I, this is again, a testament, I think to, to Jerry and, and and our friendship and and how we've structured this band for me the lows don't feel as low because we've set things up and communicate i think in a more realistic way it's it's probably because we're a little bit older and we've been through the industry a few times but you know one of the one of the first things we talked about one of the big things that we want we've always wanted to maintain was was being sustainable in the in this project making sure that everything we do is sustainable that you know we can't be working 100 hour weeks or 120 hour weeks till four five six in the morning trying to get things done you know the, the work will get done when it gets done the successes will happen when they happen and knowing having failed before having gone through those lows i think equips you and steals you a bit so that when they happen you don't feel they don't hurt as bad you don't hit as low of a low anymore because you've already gone through those experiences before and, and having someone to share it with having somebody who you know the the we pick each other up constantly and you know there's being in a band being in a working relationship like this is no different than being in any other relationship being in a marriage you know you can you can relate to this you know a marriage is not 50 50 there are times where you're going to be pulling your weight a little bit more than your wife and there are times when she's going to be pulling her weight a little bit more than you be, you know for whatever life reasons there are and i feel that way with us you know there there are times when jerry's got to drag me along because i'm i'm not pulling my weight for whatever reasons, you know, life reasons, depression reasons, whatever it is, and and vice versa. And I know I'm probably getting a little bit away from from the genesis of the question, but I think those are the things that kind of help maintain a, a healthy working relationship and and get through those those power through those low moments so that you can get back to 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 even and then and then hit another high. Man, that was great. No, I love I love where you went with that. Like, I mean, I think too, it speaks to the relationship the two of you have and just kind of how that plays into the music. I mean, and that's, you know, we talked earlier about kind of the intimacy of the music that's translating from your friendship to some degree. I mean, like there has to be some level of connectivity that's 
generating, empowering what you're putting out there. So, I mean, I think it's all translating. So as we kind of start, I'm, I'm realizing what time it is. So as we kind of start to wrap up, I realize we haven't talked about your new EP that's coming out. Can you tell me about that real quick? <laughs> oh, yeah. We got an EP coming out. I'm not sure when, although we're having a meeting today after to maybe have a little bit more details, but it's going to be called Cowboy Cologne. And it's called that because there's this plant in Southern California that grows kind of wild. It's this kind of sage. It's colloquially called Cowboy Cologne, and it smells really good. And we thought it would be funny to name a plant after a plant like that. I also think the double, like, you know, cowboys stink. Cowboy cologne, mm -hmm. like, I don't know, maybe the album stink. But it's coming out soon. We're really excited about it. It'll have on it our, our latest two singles, Appetite and Bring the Rain, as well as I think we're going to probably put like four other songs on it. So be on the lookout for that. Cool. Other than being excited to finally release an EP, you know, we live in we live in the era of singles and, and that's what we've been doing is trying to release a single every, you know, every few weeks. So it's nice to have a collection of songs that we can release in one one package and, and give people a more well-rounded experience and, and release some songs that, you know, quite frankly, not every song you're going to write or release as a single. So it'll be nice to have some album cuts on there that that I think are more maybe experimental or maybe a little bit left of center. So it'll be nice to give people something that's not not single driven, something to listen to. Gentlemen, Jerry, Chris, this was fantastic. So pumped for you guys. I love your music. I can't wait to hear the full EP. Can't wait to see you headline all the massive arenas and stadiums around. You'll out below Taylor Swift on her tour. Can't wait Naturally. to see you do all that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a, it's in the cards. Like, it's got to yeah. happen. Like, you will double, like, Beyonce and Taylor Swift's tour numbers. So just get used to it. Uh, so, but no, seriously, I, I do love your music. I'm very pumped to see you guys grow and get, see what else you put out. But uh, thanks so much for chatting today. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, thank you. We really appreciate it. And uh, for setting those realistic expectations of where we're going to oh, end up. <laughs> completely realistic. Anything less will be a massive failure. Let's just be honest about this. <laughs> I'm Lance Ingram, and this is Yesterday's Concert. Thanks for listening to another episode of my show. For more live music podcasting, check out our other show, Jam Journals. If you're feeling kind, give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and check us out on all the social media platforms. Email us at info at yesterdaysconcert.com, or visit our website, yesterdaysconcert.com. So until next time, give us a subscribe, tell your friends, and most importantly, take care of your shoes. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com 
PantheonPodcast.com. Code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.